it feels like we're getting to the point of the World Cup where all the good stories go away and what we're left with are a couple of massive heavyweight fights. At least that's the feeling that I have after what we saw over the past two days, Mitt. I agree with you completely. We said there's a chance this could be really chalky. We thought the semifinals would definitely be chalky and probably the quarterfinals. And so far, all of the favorites in terms of just odds or whatever you want to think, even just on stature, won. Um, And the closest game, we did have a game go to penalties today. And that was fun, but that might be like... As close as we get. Yeah. So it's it's going to be some really great matchups. Really big heavyweights, like you said, which is fun to see. Finally, we're going to get to see the best teams in the world play each other. But it might not be the best soccer, and we we like chaos. A little disappointing. There's still a chance. Yeah, we've had six matches, and five of them have been rather decisive victories for the favorite. Argentina-Australia, I guess, is theoretically the closest game of those five. And that was a match that Argentina dominated. This is the World Cup After Dark podcast. I'm Austin Miller. He's in it, Malik. We are rested. We are well-fed. We are hydrated. And one of us hopefully won't break out in a coughing fit. Yeah, I had to swig some water down before this one. Had That's the, how you had the coughs. Yeah. That's how you get. It's winter in Chicago. What are you going to do? Um, let's start with the best game that we saw over the past two days. The best of the four games. Japan, Croatia, 1-1 to penalties. Croatia win. Japan missed opportunities. Was penalty is a fair result for this game? Yeah, I think so. Japan had a lot of the ball, but did not do enough with it. They did score first, and then Croatia did well to respond. And from then on, both teams had a good go at it. It was a really good game, but no one really created a super great chance that they should have scored. Japan on balance, I think the XG was like 1.2 to 0.8, something like that. So penalties, of course, was fair. And I think Japan should have done more when they were in more control of the game. And from then on, no one really seized it. Um, And then, yeah. Penalties, we both agree, are a skill. And yeah. Japan had about as bad of a penalty shootout as you can have while also giving full credit to Croatia's goalkeeper. Yeah, Japan took four penalties. Three of them were saved. All three of them were low on the ground where they attempted to pick out the corner. And against a massive goalkeeper who's very clearly on it, you can't take penalties like that and expect them to go in. And they didn't. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's it. Like, penalty shootouts are simple in the end, <laughs> yeah. right? And it does matter when the keeper is on, right? It, it matters psychologically. Yeah. You know you have to hit a really good penalty to save it. And those penalties necessarily weren't necessarily bad, right? They're near the corner. They're good saves. But I'm with you, right? Maybe you go down the middle. Maybe you need yeah. to lift them up more, do something different. Um, who knows, right, how much preparation uh, reading in the moment was happening. But... At the end of the day, they just it's it's really a bummer, right? Penalty yeah. kicks, maybe a coin flip. We don't think of them that way, but like looking back at them to say who won, like in any day it could happen. But Croatia deserved it. And I do think there's some truth to the narrative that Croatia have more experience in shootouts and yeah. World Cups, at least. Did you see the Croatia World Cup stat where since like nineteen ninety four, every single knockout match they've played other than the final in 2018 has either gone to extra time or penalties. And I think that's a major tournaments like the Euro match against Spain. They have insane 
extra time penalties experience. And it kind of felt like that showed today. And also, they took off their best players in extra time. Every single one of them, seemingly. And still won this game in a penalty shootout. That's a massive call from Zlatko Dalic to take off Luka Modric, to take off Perisic, to take off Kramaric at one point in this game. He subbed on a big striker and then took that guy off. He only played like 40 minutes. There were some massive calls by the Croatian manager, and it all worked out. It did, and I think in general, taking your best players off the pitch in a thing like extra time is not wise, but against a team like Japan, it might have been the best move because Japan are extremely fit. Japan play a game that requires you to run, and a lot of those guys are older and maybe just don't have the legs. He probably knew before the game, hey, if we go to extra time, I have to make these changes because either my athletic trainers, my fitness coaches, my own, what I understand from them is they cannot be effective after this many minutes. And it's a big call. It's a really big call. And had it backfired, had they conceded um, in extra time, we all would have very easily been quick to point out, you shouldn't do that. And I think... It was 0-0. It's not like it won them the game, right? And I certainly yeah. think Croatia would have liked those players in a shootout regardless of how extra time goes. But he needed legs. That's a simple matter. He needed legs. And Japan had also played a lot. And it kind of made extra time livable for Croatia. They It was KG. It was, there were a few chances, but they weren't dominated, right? And maybe he was thinking, if I leave my guys in, uh, he was basically, by the end, Luka Modric was, like, deputy right back. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, he was probably like, listen, if I leave these guys in, Japan are just going to control the game more. And I want, even if I don't have as much quality, I need the running. And, yeah, it worked. So, I, the weird part about it for me is he took them off with, like, 10 minutes to go until penalties. Which, to me, maybe doesn't seem like it's enough of a time where it was going to matter on the field, and you would probably want those guys for penalties. But look, it worked out. World Cup of headers. I mean, absolutely insane header for the equalizer for Croatia here. Yeah, that's so good from Perisic. Up there, I think, with Ener Valencia's header, right, in terms of the distance, he's 12, 14 yards out, and he has to power it. He's not just redirecting the ball into the corner, uh, yeah, that's a really low XG chance. And Croatia, you know, created a lot otherwise. But Ivan Perisic, is, this was all over, you know, social media. His track record at World Cups is awesome. He's yeah. just an insane big game player. Like that, we say that we can say those words and there's certain players it applies to. He is one of them. Um, brought them back in the game, right? It could have, they definitely were going to keep going at it once they went down, but bailed out a little bit by a, great player making an insane header so that's part of why Croatia is so good they have match difference makers like that yeah and this is a shame for Japan who were one of our favorite teams to watch in this tournament they attacked all of their games they went toe-to-toe with three European powers they beat two of them and they took a third to penalties were they missing anything today or was it just a case of sometimes you play a team really even and it goes to penalties and then you don't take very good penalties and you lose? That's kind of how this felt to me. I don't know that there was any 
one moment or one play. Of course, there were opportunities that Japan maybe could have shot on. There's opportunities that they could have had a better finish on. But at the end of the day, it felt like they matched Croatia step for step here and could have just as easily gone through had they taken better penalties. I'm with you. That's my assessment of it, too. I think it was pretty even. And it's funny that they beat two teams in the group stage who are better than them on talent, yeah. both by luck and by a great game plan. And it could be true that their luck swung back the other way in this game, in the penalty kicks and the way the game played out. And that also that their style is better suited to playing a team that is going to dominate them where they can get them. And this game was more even and Japan did not really get to be at their best. Um, they they would have been awesome up one for longer, right? Yeah. The longer they were up one, they would have had chances on the counter. And that header from Croatia returned the game back to a zero zero or a tied game state, sure. not long enough for Japan to really get into their their best style, which is counterattacking, right? And I think both of those things are true, and I'm with you. This easily could have gone the other way in penalty kicks. That's how it works. So it's it's frustrating for sure for Japan, but you can't say that they didn't maximize their squad, do everything yeah. they could have in this tournament. And Croatia is a very, not only a good team, a very good World Cup team. Yeah, They are experienced, seasoned, and those qualities shown through today. Were Croatia lucky? Are they lucky that they do this a lot? Sure, but there's something to the fact at, that yeah, at some point when you to the fact, yeah, at some point when you do it as much as they have, it kind of stops becoming this whole oh they're just so lucky thing, and you have to ask they might just be good at playing this style of match in a knockout round and in penalties, right? Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and it's it, it's more frustrating for Japan that they get to the round of sixteen and have about as winnable a, as a matchup as you can get. Yeah, uh, bar going through your group as a favorite and getting an easy team. But there are no easy teams uh, no. at this point in the competition. Uh, listen, they played four games in almost 12 days and they ran their legs out. And it was a really impressive showing. I'm bummed for them, but this this is the World Cup. And I think hopefully uh, at the end, the program, the Japan soccer program, will realize this was a really good sign for them. And the yeah. fact that their squad is clearly, I think top 15 12 in the world maybe on talent right they're up there with any of the non-european powerhouses and yeah even some and they of them. did and they did get a bit unfortunate they won their group and they drew probably the best runner-up of all the teams in croatia and I some of that so. has to do by the fact that croatia got got beaten out by morocco to top that group but you know japan could have just as easily been playing australia or the u.s or something like that and that's just sometimes how a world cup goes it just breaks yeah. weird for you. Part of the luck in World Cup is draws. And yeah. this is and same th- and this is a really good example for Belgium. Um I know we already did their postmortem. We didn't spend too much time on it. But if you look at the Belgium England paths to coming back and meeting each other, right? If Belgium had England's path, maybe they like their chances to 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 make a deeper run. So that's that's it is part of it too. All right, let's talk about the three favorites that we saw. Brazil, France, and England. Let's start with Brazil. It's fresh on our minds. It just happened. This was the best performance we've seen from any single team in this World Cup, right? Their 4-1 win over South Korea, particularly the the first half, the 4 goal Totally. We, you especially, having seen them in qualifying, were very spot on about the way Brazil approach a game like this. They came out 
with intensity pressing and they were crisp in their passing sequences. And what it resulted in were some of the most beautiful goals that you will see in modern soccer, because it, we, we said this the very first time they played, you know, Joga Benito Samba football is dead, but this is what it looks like, right? Yeah. This is just, the sequences were perfect. And to me, to me, the the X factor here, well, two X factors, is Richarlison, who when yeah. he plays for Brazil, is just a different man. He's a possessed man. He is creating insane pass in the buildup, and he's finishing. His timing is good. And then, of course, Brazil with Neymar is is a, a different cut above than what they already are a good team. Yep. So, yeah, that not not a lot to say. Brazil got in their high gear, scored some awesome goals, which we can talk about, and. South Korea didn't really have a chance to stop it when they were when Brazil was like that. Yeah, the way I kind of described Neymar last week, I think it was in Brazil, is Brazil are not nearly as dependent as they have been on Neymar in the past, but it is also abundantly clear that they are significantly better when he's on the field, and it's not because they're trying to force everything through him, but he is an elite attacking player, one of the best attacking players in the world. That is obviously going to make Brazil better, and you could see it today. They were so much crisper, they were fluid, and they just put their foot on the gas, and they did not take it off for the entire first half, and it led to some incredible scenes. Vinicius Jr.'s goal was good, but I think the the third goal was probably the best for me. Which which goal takes the cake for you? No, it's the third goal. It's Richarlison, triple header, flick away, then he passes it makes the run and gets the the perfect assist and finishes it sumptuously. And this is a game that's very good example of your point that when you have more talent, you can be ruthless and clinical because the three non-penalty goals weren't necessarily like easy finishes. The Richarlison goal, maybe sure it was, he was played in, but the Vinicius goal and the Paqueta goal were really tough finishes that made, were made to look really easy. Yeah, the Vinicius goal—he's open, but there's four guys between yeah. him and the goal, and, it and he just all four of them. It feels like, right? Like yeah. at some point, it looked like that ball was not going to get in for four different reasons, and that is super impressive. And I like that you brought up Lucas Paqueta. I think he is a huge player for Brazil because he's yet another link between their midfield and their attack, and he's kind of the player who can like we've seen with so many teams at this World Cup, particularly with Enzo Fernandez in Argentina, he's the guy who can play the first ball, right? He's the guy who can move the ball from that mucky middle part in the field where center backs have it and get it into a dangerous area and spring somebody into a dangerous area so Brazil don't have to use any of their four attackers to do that role. And that's just one more body that they can run at you. And man, when they get running, are they good? You're spot on about his importance. And with Neymar alongside him, right, he has four players that are creative he can link to, and he's a great hub. He's also a great late runner into the box, as you saw on the goal. And the difference without Neymar is, right, that spot goes to Fred. And Fred is a good player who we both like, and he has much better defensive work rate than Neymar, and he is a safe passer. He's not right. bad. He's not going to give the ball away, and he's a great presser. So he's, he allows Brazil to pretty much do play their style, and they're they're effective in their shape and pressing. They just It's the difference between three creative players yep. versus four, 
And, you know, Paqueta is good enough to help the defense as well. Neymar in the Brazil shirt isn't a slouch pressing. He's, it depends. It comes and goes. Brazil overall on the whole, their wingers, even though they're really good attacking players, lead the press from yeah. the front line along with Richarlison. It's just, it's a really well-constructed team from top to bottom. And Cheech has really got them looking like the world beaters. I mean, them in France, you know, which is a really interesting discussion that hopefully we can get to uh, in a final maybe, or we can just have it at some point on a different podcast, but they're playing the best. I think the, almost the best level of international football you can get, right? It's hard to imagine an international team playing this cohesively. And I know, look, they won four, one. So we're gushing about them, but like we've been on this the whole way. Yeah. This result was kind of, it felt like it was coming. And now that they got all the pieces back, it was huge. I love the the Cheech dance. Uh, like, <laughs> it's stupid and it's a dumb thing to say, but like, it just goes to show how together this Brazil team is. And considering everything that has kind of swirled around Brazil in, in recent times and all of that, like, yeah, it's important to have that sort of atmosphere within the team. And I think we've seen that from both the big South American teams is there is a level of togetherness that might not be there in any other team. And also a bit... Allison was huge in this game. It didn't matter because they were thumping South Korea, but came up with some massive saves. And that's a player that when he's playing at a high level is going to be big for Brazil. Once they start throwing knockout heavyweight type matches against a Croatia, against a France or something like that. That's a huge player to have in their back pocket. I agree with you completely. And that might be their edge over a potential semifinal quarterfinal match because um, Hugo Lloris, a player I really love, and is actually a very good shot stopper, uh, is a little bit shaky back there. Wait, uh, Spain, Unai Simon, yeah, a little bit weak back there, right? And Allison is not just good; he's a match-winning type of goalkeeper, uh, and he showed that with today with a save. Just a good reminder, like you said. My last point on the Brazil and the the Cheech dancing and all of that. Brazil, you know, we say Jogo Benito isn't the same because it isn't. Modern soccer just isn't like that. But I think the culture and the swagger of Brazil is part of it, right? It is part of their identity to have fun, to be pulling tricks, to be just looking like this this is their most comfortable habitat, is them just bossing a game. And I know, like, it goes back to your point what you said about their togetherness it's all baked in but the vibes the yeah we're both big vibes people and it's important for brazil to have this yeah uh, and also if we're really going to compare them to the other favorites on this team argentina are a vibes fluctuate massively team depending yeah. on where their game is yeah and brazil and france are we have evidence in the past that their vibes are suspect. They have not been in games that have mattered this tournament, so we're we we're not accusing them yet of yeah. that. But when rubber meets the road in this tournament, when these big heavyweights get into these crazy matches that we are expecting, crazy as in like just a lot of tension and atmosphere, who is going to be able to survive that? And what we see from Brazil helps us believe in them. Yeah, and I think to that point, Brazil hit squad bingo today in the round of 16 and in a 26-man squad. 
every single player on Brazil has now played at this World Cup, including all three goalkeepers. And I think that was a, like, kind of off-brand move for Cheech because he's been a very, like, defensive, super organized, no-risk type manager. And for him to say, you know what, I'm putting on my third goalkeeper for the last 15 minutes of this match that we are winning 4-1 because it will mean that everybody at this World Cup has played shows how valuable having those sorts of moods within the team is. And that's the type of thing that endears managers to players. And this was the perfect time to do it. This game was done. It was over. Get the squad bingo. Get everybody on the field. It's just going to help the mood and everything in the camp as you go in towards the quarterfinals on Friday. Exactly. That's why Danny Alves is in the squad and why he's played twice. Danny Alves is a very reverential figure in this Brazil squad. So all of that matters. Yeah. And tried to score today. Was like, it's 4-1. I'm going today. This is my goal. He took a hit. Yeah, he did. He did. All right. So we'll have Brazil, Croatia. Go ahead. Yeah, one more. One last note on Korea. Hey, great goal. What a hit. What a hit on the Korea goal. Uh, we, We have to mention it. It was a... A have a hit special. I, the yep. score the score was tough, but it was good. Yeah, they were outclassed in pretty much every element of this game today. And I think we kind of expected that to happen. And getting out of the group was a success for South Korea. But man, the gulf in quality and everything between these two teams was immense. Brazil will play Croatia on Friday. We'll preview that later. Let's backtrack to what we saw yesterday amid Saturday we saw two favorites come out and pretty much hammer less talented opposition. France and Poland finished 3-0. There was kind of a moment in this game where Poland almost did something. Finished 3-1. Can, uh, 3-1. Oh, of course. Uh, you my can, apologies. You can my apologies. 97th minute VAR penalty that he took, smiled, and he was very happy. And he was just like, you know... If I had missed this, it would have been worse. So Well, he did miss it. He did miss it. <laughs> yeah, and then it turned out that Hugo Lloris was off his line. So he got to take yes. it in. My apologies. I erased Robert Lewandowski's second goal of this World Cup. It finished 3-1. There was a moment in this match where Poland almost kind of tried to maybe do something. But France are also really good and are immense in attack. And that was on display in this game. I think the theme in this game, the England-Senegal game, and the USA-Netherlands game is, in the end, the better teams won comfortably all, yep. and they were all a clear uh, talent class above their opposition, is that the three opponents all had chances early, and the game looks completely different if they take them, yep. and they didn't. And Polo, starting here with Poland-France... There was 15 minutes in the first half where Poland, just by stumbling into a game, had kind of pinned France and were getting dangerous balls into the box. Playing as well as they had at any point in the tournament. Exactly. Poland don't really have great attacking ideas, and it's not like that's what what was working. They were just putting balls in the box and then getting them, and credit to Lloris and the defense scrambling, there was a really good moment in there for France and otherwise they could have been down one and then they Poland didn't take advantage and France scored and that was that and yeah. like you said they're playing well Kylian Mbappe is the best player right now in the world yeah. I hate to say it but it's true and there's no denying it he is insane his finishing his runs his dribbling his passing he is the complete package 
And it's, you know, the best players in the game, you just have to account for them at all times. And their influence alters the entire shape of the way teams play. And you can see that on his third goal, the last one, where they're so backed far off him that he gets the ball in that far space and it doesn't matter because he could just hit a rocket. Actually, he scored one after that. That, Yeah, the the rocket goal was insane because, like, that's a really hard place to score from. Like, you don't just score from that position regularly with that sort of ease. Right. It's hard to hit a ball that hard and have it stay down. And it just did. And you always knew that it would. And that's what makes it so impressive. And that goal, like, it's not going to win the award for best World Cup goal. It's not the prettiest. But it's a freaking good goal. And you're just like, wow. Yeah, that he was just, incredible. And he just makes it look like that's what he does. Because yeah. he he plays with, he does get a lot of shots up. Of and course. Some, sometimes they get blocked a lot and he's a little shot happy. But I can't even say that's a criticism anymore. Right. Because when you are that good at shooting the ball, that should be your mindset. Every time the ball gets funneled to me and I have a window to shoot, I can score. I am that good. So he is at a very high level. Um, Olivier Giroud has been the man for France. Yeah. He really has. And loves a bike is, too. He loves a bike. Man, that was pretty too. This is a really good testament to France's squad depth because Kareem Benzema was playing like the best number nine striker in the world for the last year. Better yeah. than anyone. Better than anyone. And he went out and France looked like they haven't missed a beat. Yeah, I don't um, think any team at this World Cup has more players missing than France do. Right? Like the amount right? of number Conte. one, no doubt starters that are yep. not in this France team and that they're still playing in this way speaks to the depth that they have. Yeah, Conte and Kunku, Benzema, and whether yeah. you think some of their center backs. I'll, I'll say this about France. I saw this uh, uh, tweeted a few times from some soccer people, but also this this catches the eye test. One of the differences between France and Brazil is that France defend by generally sitting deep, and uh-huh. that's one of the reasons why Poland was able to get in the game, is that France will let you, if you can progress the ball decently, in they'll let you walk it into their half. And you could pin them back a little bit because they'd rather sit back and make you create versus Brazil, who will do that also. Brazil are generally a little more front foot defenders. They yeah. want to get high up the pitch. They don't want you to even get in their back line. And that's how they choked Serbia, Switzerland, yeah. and again here today, Korea in the first opening part of this game when they cared. You can't even get the ball to their final third. I'm not saying one is wrong, one's right, because you could beat Brazil with one ball, theoretically, and be in. And then France, you saw it, leads to a gold mouth scramble. So, like, there are two different ways of defending. I think against France, it's going to lead to more cagey matches where Brazil are going to just be more physical and intense on the best teams they play and lead with their defense. Yeah. Anything else you want to say on France here? I think that's a really good stylistic point and could come large should these teams meet at any point. Anything else on France? This was pretty much what we expected from them. They are really good. They are really dangerous. Go ahead. My my last point on this, and when we start getting to these quarterfinals, we'll eventually talk about, you really don't want to be the team to concede first in all these heavyweight matches. That first goal matters, and we expect all of these games from here on out to be cagey, but 
every team is so much better when it's up one. Yeah. So if you can go do it, right, and we'll see how that plays out. But France today, France yesterday, when they went up one, it was over because yeah. you can't defend them in space. You can't defend Mbappe in space. You, yeah. It, it's you impossible. Uh, a little bit too much of winger Robert Lewandowski here from Poland. Like, <laughs> at some point, somebody else needs to take the ball 40 yards from goal on the wing and whip in a fruitless cross. Like, that should be Lewandowski looking to get on the end of that. Good riddance, Poland. I kind of respect what you were able to do against France for a little bit here, but I will not miss you at this tournament. You are done. You're gone. Harry Kane, of it on the scoreboard, and England made pretty easy work of a Senegal team that could have been tricky, and a Senegal team that looked like they were settling in for the type of game that they have played a lot, right? Against Egypt in the AFCON final, against Egypt in the World Cup qualification playoff, they have slogged through really bad-looking games and kind of done in England in those sorts of games in recent memory. And they were not able to do that because England scored and then turned this into a romp in what was begrudgingly a really good performance from England. Agreed. Uh, Senegal, I think we, I have to give them more credit than for what I thought of them coming in the tournament. And it makes sense given their body of work. Yeah, They are well-equipped to play these kind of ugly matches. They are compact, organized defensively, and they're very good at winning the midfield battle through force of will. And they don't need to attack that much to yeah. get their chances. And when they had Mane, it was even better. Um, but at the end, this was very good for England. And w- the two X factors here that were on display for everyone to see – Jude Bellingham yep. is quickly rising the world football ranks as one of the best midfielders in the world. I think it's tough to say he's having a coming out party. Like he's that good for Dortmund. He's probably going to go to a bigger club soon, but he allows Garrett Southgate's style to work even better, right? Because he's the one man counterattack. Yeah. The goals, he gets the ball 50, 60 yards of goal, dribbles a guy, two guys, and then plays a perfect through ball. And then England are through. And the other part of this is Harry Kane, who his development as a passer has really allowed England to counterattack because you can play into his feet, he'll turn. And if you let him play the next ball, he's sending a runner through. And that was the first goal. Like England started Jordan Henderson today in midfield. And I was like, oh, that's a weird choice from Southgate. It's a little defensive for Senegal. And guess what? It worked because he was able to run through on the goal and he had good reading of Kane Bellingham. Like, those two are so good at creating chances in a very controlled game. This England team is going to be very hard to beat. And I, we've given Garrett Southgate a lot of flack on this podcast. We've given England, Harry Kane, their defense, a lot of flack. and. We're not taking it back. I think a lot of it's deserved, but they are going to be a problem because they can yeah. attack with a few players. They can defend very well. And once again, they have not yet been asked to be put in a tough spot. They just yeah. avoid being put in a tough spot. Harry Kane was really good in this game and has been really good at this tournament and not in the traditional Harry Kane sense. Although his goal was a peak was, Harry Kane, it was. run straight and shoot type goal. But his passing, his link up, he's been really good winning the ball for England, 
those kind of longish balls, getting balls played into him and turning them into chances with his play, with his feet and his passing. It's been really good. And like you say, Bellingham being at that level, plus Kane being at that level as a creator, as a creative force, allows Gareth Southgate to just plunk as many men behind the ball as he wants because they can create what they need to create with the few players they have up front. Right, and any of their other wingers are all good at pressing, running to get in positions, and finishing. Yep. Sokka, Foden started, they were good, and it's like, oh, if that's not working, we could bring on Grealish and Rashford. Like, it's stupid. Yeah. It's stupid how good this team is, and their weakness is their center backs, we think. John Stones is good, but, like, we've remained convinced that Harry Maguire cannot cut it at this level, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's the thing. This team is so well-equipped for its squad, and... We're talking about goalkeepers. Jordan Pickford is also a potential liability, but he's fine. He's been fine so far. You know the team that could ask all of those questions of England, Amit? France. It's it's France, and they play yeah. in the quarterfinals. Really on good Saturday. matchup. It's a really good matchup because we have yet to see England properly tested at a major tournament in what feels like forever. They've trailed for like. 15 minutes combined in their last two major tournament exits. Uh, it's going to be super interesting. Can France impose their will on England and force England to play for an extended period? Can England neuter that French attack? And can England continue to create enough with four? Or do they need to put more players forward? It is everything that you want out of a super heavyweight fight in a World Cup quarterfinal. Two teams that could absolutely win the World Cup based on what we've seen so far. And one of them will be going home relatively early because that's how the draw is. And it's must-see TV. Agreed. For exactly all those reasons. It's really fun to think about. Um, We're at the point where all these good teams are going to meet each other. And something has to give, right? The littlest flaws in these squads are going to get magnified. And the best players if they can produce those moments of match winning quality, it will make the difference on the biggest stage. Like yep. that's what, th- those are the stakes now. And we're getting to see all the best teams in the world do it. And we like chaos and chaos. I sure would have taken it, but I'm also not upset at an English yep. France quarterfinal. I will happily watch this and just be delighted and hope, hope we get goals, right? Yeah. That's, you know, I just don't want to see a zero, zero penalty kicks. I don't think that'll happen. I think yeah. there's too much attacking talent. And yeah. then when the first goal happens, who takes the punch and adjusts, right? Yeah. And that's that's where it'll be really fun. It's super interesting because if England score the first goal, then we get to watch the French attack fully unleashed and just going for it. And if France get the first goal, then we finally get to watch what does it look like when England chase a result. And that's something we just haven't seen. And I think it would be something really interesting because we just haven't seen it. All right, let's quickly preview the final two round of 16 matches. The last hope for chaos, the final non-South American European power left. Amit, it is group winners Morocco. It is Luis Enrique, Spain. Can Morocco do this? Yeah, they can. I think these two games are two of the best underdog chances in the round of 16. In hindsight, but also just before any of the matches were played, um, Morocco are good. Yeah. Morocco are very good. 
they're well-disciplined, they're extremely fit, and they have the talent to take advantage of Spain's weaknesses, which are their back line, their goalkeeper, and even if their back line on talent is okay, good, even the way they play will leave space. Yeah. So to me, the big question is how afraid are Spain of Morocco's on the counter? The answer is probably not. Luis Enrique has said as much. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's the proper question, but the answer isn't that they're not afraid. It's yes. that they're afraid, but they're not going to change the way they play because of it. Right. And so we'll see what happens in the moments where Morocco gets Spain disorganized. And if they can take advantage, this is a big game for Morocco to score their early chance that they get. Yep. This is, if you don't, and then you left ruining, you cannot, you don't want to go down to Spain because Spain, when they want, can just make you not touch the ball. Yep. And they don't need to score, right? They did that the whole first half against Japan and they scored. And in the second half, none of what they did in the first half mattered. They still lost. But in the first half, Japan effectively had nothing. Yeah. That's what Spain can do. So they can do that to Morocco and make Morocco chase all they want and tire those legs out. So will Spain really commit to it? And please, please, Luis Enrique, I'm begging you, start Alvaro Morata. Please play your striker. If you don't, it's just going to make it that much harder to to work in a finish. Um, and... We'll see what Morocco can do if they need to chase a result, right? They haven't. That hasn't really been their issue in three yeah. games. No. We know that they have attacking talent, but what does that look like? Because Spain are not particularly good at seeing out a lead for a team that's that right. good. Yeah, and the atmosphere here is going to play a role. This is going to be a home game for Morocco, right? We've seen it. European teams have not traveled very well to this World Cup, and North African teams have, Arab world teams have. So what type of role does that play? Is that going to help Morocco? Could that be a hindrance in that maybe they try to play too much because they kind of get riled up? I think that's an interesting aspect here. This is a good matchup precisely because Morocco are an underdog who have not played like one. They have gone toe-to-toe with every team they've played, and they have come out on top. And so I don't think that they'll come into this one toe-to-toe to start, I think that would be a little foolish. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, that's why I don't think they'll do that. So you're right. It's a different role for them. Yeah. And I think it will be interesting in your spot on. What is one of the takeaways that we've had? It's that if you are not favored to win and you get an early chance, you should probably score it. And yeah. Morocco will be in that boat as well. This game takes on a completely different aspect. If Morocco score first and can hang on to a lead for an extended period of time and force Spain's passing machine to point towards goal, right? (laughs) Like the passing machine either points towards the midfield and they just interchange it with themselves for the entire afternoon, or they have to point it towards goal and you can counterattack them and you can go at the back line and you can test their perhaps shaky goalkeeper. Yep. It's a big game for Spain's outside backs as well. Cesar Azpilicueta is a little flat, not flat. He's a little slower than yep. Danny Carvajal, perhaps. And Jordi Alba is very good. Um, so if he's in, that helps. And then lastly, this could go to penalty kicks. Yep. So any game here can go to penalty kicks. But it allows me to bring up what Luis Enrique has yeah. had his team do to prepare, which is he told all of his players, you can't come to the Spain camp for Qatar unless you've taken a thousand penalty kicks. Uh, with your club teams, just practicing them. 
that is the exact type of Luis Enrique madness that somehow leads me to think that they'll backfire spectacularly. <laughs> it's a it's a classic Luis Enrique bit. It's a classic quote in the World Cup that has brought us plenty of them. All right, last round of 16 matchup. It's an all-European battle. It is Portugal and Switzerland. Fernando Santos and Ronaldo are apparently now going at it after Fernando Santos took Ronaldo off. Ronaldo wasn't happy. Fernando Santos wasn't happy that Ronaldo wasn't happy. Can this Portugal team continue to surpass what are just impeccably bad Ronaldo vibes? It's got to cost them at some point, right? In vibes, it will cost them, right? They're unhappy. And at some point, it costs them on the field playing him. And at one of these games, they're going to just be burned by having a striker with no work rate and by having an attack that's funneled around playing balls into the box when you have four or five of the most talented creators and of the most talented creators in Europe. Really interesting opponent here because Switzerland are good. Switzerland are not in the favorite tiers of European teams, but they are around there. And here we go. 538 probabilities. Yeah, baby. Time of all the underdogs that weren't Japan, Croatia, which was a 50, 50 game. We can accept Switzerland are the highest. Right. Okay. The USA was 34%. Senegal was 32. Morocco, 27. Uh, Australia were much lower. Um, South Korea, also much lower. South Korea, lower than 20%. Yeah. Switzerland here are 38. That's okay. almost 40. And again, these are just numbers, right? They like right. At the end of the day, one team wins, one team loses. And it matches the prediction or not. Okay? But yeah. the numbers matter because they're telling you that Switzerland has the best chance of all those underdogs to do it because of their quality, and then maybe Portugal is vulnerable exactly. on the other side. Yeah. I think Briel Bolo is a super interesting player here. He's had a good World Cup so far. Do Portugal dare – or excuse me, do Switzerland dare play Sheridan Shakiri in this match? I don't know because you look at Portugal's wingers, yeah. especially Joao Felix, maybe Octavio – if it's Bru- I mean, Bruno-, Bruno Fernandez is a winger. He's central. Or maybe it's Liao, who, yeah. Rafael Liao, who hasn't started. You just imagine him tracking back to deal with those guys. And then I know he's not the fullback. Portugal's fullbacks are really good at the overload. Can you imagine Joao Cancelo seeing Jordan Shakiri and being like, you're going to mark me for 70 minutes? No. <laughs> yeah, this kind of feels like a break glass if needed game for Shakiri, right? He- he was really good. He was yeah. really good in their win against Serbia. And that was particularly suited for him because Serbia are not that fast. Yeah. They don't build up with speed. And he was able to pick passes. This is a game where Switzerland will be on the back foot on the counter. And Shakiri just doesn't have that pace anymore. He yeah. for sure can play a role in this game. But starting seems like a mistake, perhaps. Yeah, you and certainly he, don't want to counteract Switzerland's non-pressing, non-entity forward by putting out one of your own, right? Like, that right. kind of negates whatever advantage you would get from Ronaldo being out of the pitch from Portugal to start. Does Fernando Santos dare drop Ronaldo? Is that something that can be contemplated? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe not in the round of 16. It's a, it's a winner go home, but, like, yeah. it's Switzerland, and I Switzerland are good. But I just... I don't think Santos can drop him and he's not afraid to take him off. And it already caused, he took him off when Portugal were already through. 
It didn't matter. Nothing about that game for Portugal mattered. You had 60 minutes against South Korea and you didn't score. That's on you. Yeah. That's your fault, man. And Ronaldo complaining is nothing less of what we've come to expect from soccer's favorite diva. We're just like, I'm not, we're not pulling any punches anymore. He's, he makes this team worse. And that being said, we're fully in line for some point for Ronaldo Golazo to shut us all up. And, oh boy, I hope it's not this game. (laughs) Could be this one. Could be this one. Switzerland and that kind of opponent. It's an interesting matchup. And I think this quarter of the bracket is certainly the one that doesn't contain the super heavy hitting favorite, right? Yep. We expect Argentina are favored, although the Netherlands are a good team. Brazil are certainly favored in their quarter. We have the France-England matchup that we wanted. A Spain-Portugal match would certainly fit that bill. But if there is an opportunity for a surprise, we kind of always expected it would come from here. Exactly. This is where you get your... How'd that team make the semifinals? It's Morocco or Switzerland. And both of them kind of fit that profile in terms of talent and ability. So, and Spain or Port... The reason why is Spain and Portugal are weak enough for it to happen. So the door is open. Yeah, let's see. You got a big thing for me to close out here? No, I think we've hit on all of our themes throughout this tournament. It's been chalky in these rounds. And I do think that to have all chalk, if tomorrow we see Spain and Portugal, each one of those results would be likely. Yeah. But together, all of the favorites getting it done just on sheer math is unlikely. And what that's showing is that the good teams, we've said this before, they have the answers. They're very good at this, yeah. right? They're very good. Just and look at the approach from the Netherlands, from France, from England. They've played good teams. Maybe not Poland, but, <laughs> <laughs> but even, but, and then even Brazil, right? And they've all just kind of, just went about their business pretty like shock free. And I think that's weird that they're that good, right? We soccer is a sport of chaos. Yeah. And we saw chaos to get to this round of 16 feel that we had. And then it has suddenly flipped the other way. And what that's telling me is that these favorites are so good at what they do. They are talent wise, a cut above and they're being managed really well. Yeah, and we can take our quips with Gareth Southgate. We can not like Didier Deschamps for his general defensive style. All of these managers understand the way international knockout soccer works and the strengths of their squad. Yeah. And it's leading to what we hope are full bore, full on heavyweight fights in the later rounds. But it's coming at the expense of maybe some more chaos in the round of 16. So that's my takeaway. Yeah. And FIFA's takeaway to all of that is let's have more bad teams in the tournament. <laughs> that, that that sound you heard, that faint sound you heard, was a forehead slap for a bit. Audio medium, not a visual medium. But he slapped himself so hard that it worked. That worked. There's no better way to end the podcast. That's what we got to go out on. Uh, yeah. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll break down the two games that we have tomorrow. I think tomorrow we should mega preview the quarterfinals, right? Yeah. Let's do that. Tomorrow. We're talking France. England, we're talking Argentina, Netherlands, Brazil, Croatia, whatever we get from the games tomorrow. We'll break all that down tomorrow. So you'll want to come back. Thanks for listening as always.